TikTok to hashtag single with Jeanette Bonner. I am not a relationship expert or sex therapist. I'm just a regular New York City woman navigating the world as a single, independent feminist. Hashtag single is about having honest conversations with other singles in today's device-obsessed culture. So I hope you'll join me on this interesting, challenging, and complex journey as we navigate the ins and outs of singledom. Guys, happy May. Welcome back to Hashtag Single. I'm Jeanette Bonner. Obviously, you are listening to the feminist podcast about dating in modern times. Welcome back. We are so excited to have you here with us today. I have an incredible guest with me. Lise Wilcox is a transformational mindset and success coach working with single women today on dating and the relationship we have with ourselves while dating. Very key. And on top of that, she is a best-selling author and taco enthusiast. Lise, so happy to have you. Welcome to Hashtag Single. Thank you. And thank you for including each of those very important elements. <laughs> right? Like that's, that's what your, 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 like, what your elegy is going to be left in life. Well, do you like that? I had to throw that in. It's in your Insta bio. So, you know, I figure it was fair game. What's your, what's your go-to spot for tacos right now? Oh, right now, literally nowhere because I live in a small town just east of Toronto, Canada. And, um, we have one impeccable, not impeccable, like incredible taco truck, but they're only seasonal. And because we're still in, we're going into third lockdown, uh, I can't go anywhere. So I'm like in a serious taco deficit right now. I'm so embarrassed to say I actually didn't know that. Yeah. So sort of you went into it, came out of it, went into it, came out of it, went into it, came out of it again? For 13 months. It's a shit show. And, you know, like most of my clients are in the U.S. A lot of my friends are in the U.S. So watching watching Instagram feeds are like, I'm getting my vaccine. I'm like, fuck. Like, it's so weird because you'd think culturally that Canada would totally like ace us. <laughs> and we're just like, it, it's, it's the weirdest, it's the weirdest experience right now. It's like, I've used this analogy so much. People are getting, probably getting annoyed of it, but it's like, I feel like I'm a teenager pointing to my friends in the States being like, yeah, but look what they're allowed to yeah. do. <laughs> okay. Sarah's mom lets her do this. <laughs> Biden's kids are allowed to do this. How come we're not? It's so Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And they said it for 13 months definitively? Uh, no, we're on month 13. So we've been oh, in I three see. separate lockdowns, but like just as like last year, for example, at the time that we're recording this, last year we went into a, a lockdown for two weeks that's basically lasted more than a year. It's like, oh my God, guys, it's time to get your stories straight here and figure out right. which way is up. Oh, I can't. I mean, psychologically, that's so hard. I, I just can't even process what you're going through. So, oh gosh, my empathy. Thank you. Um, let's talk about more fun things like dating, which is always fun, right? Uh, before we dive in, I just want to take a second to read your bio so we can let listeners know a little bit more about you and your background. Lise Wilcox is a transformational mindset and success coach who has been featured on ABC, HGTV, Good Day PA, Sirius XM Radio, and in Forbes, the Toronto Star, So She Slays, and many other publications. Lisa is also a TEDx speaker, podcast host, certified NLP practitioner, and author of To Call Myself Beloved, A Story of Hope, 
healing, and coming home. She's been featured on season two of Amazon Prime's docuseries, The Social Movement, which is the mission of impacting humanity at a large scale. Lisa's also a cancer survivor, mom of three, an aforementioned taco enthusiast, and currently resides, as we mentioned, in Canada. So, uh, well, you're a badass. Um, I don't. I don't actually know where to begin. So let's let's start with you. What started you on this journey to be a relational coach? Um, I, for years, like actual years. I have been talking about being a relationship coach, a relational coach. And when I went through, and that started while I was still married. And when I got divorced, I had so much like self-doubt and imposter syndrome being like, oh my God, mm. how could I ever be a relationship coach? And, you know, six years has gone by and I've, I've gone through this incredible process of coming home to myself and really learning how to confront and heal from my own significant traumas, including uh, emotional and narcissistic abuse as a kid, this highly traumatic divorce that um, led to CPTSD, like complex PTSD, because all divorce did for me was trigger the emotional abuse response from when I was a kid. Like it was just such a nightmare. And as I was in the thick of that, uh, I got breast cancer. So it was suddenly, and I'm, you know, I'm a single parent, I'm self-employed, I have three little girls. And it was just like, what the actual fuck is happening? And so I was like, while I was going through my cancer treatments and writing my book, because I wrote my book during chemo, um, I had this real awareness of like, I can make literally anything beautiful. And I, I had looked back on my life and everything, every hardship, every challenge, I found a way of really making it purposeful and beautifully my own. And I kind of coined that emotional alchemy. And that became this foundational part of my coaching that people would kind of happen to find me at the right place in their life where they really needed someone to give them that permission to be who they are. And, and that's what I had struggled mm. with for so long through so many decades of abuse that I wasn't allowed to be who I was. And as I started to really come into my own and really heal, develop a deep and genuine, unconditional self-love and acceptance, that's when I found the confidence through my own education, my own experience. Um, uh, to really appreciate that what I do is I coach people through their relational stuff. So I love to find the truth and beauty in relationships you have to yourself and to others. Knowing unequivocally that the relationship you have to yourself is the foundation upon which every other relationship is built, like that to me seems like it should be the focal point. So people will come to me for business coaching and the business isn't really the problem. Mm. It's the relationship to themselves that needs the healing. We heal that. And then magically all the business stuff falls into place. You know, people come to me for marriage counseling. It's not the marriage that actually needs the attention. It's the individuals that need the attention and healing. We heal that. And then magically the marriage stuff kind of disappears. So that's kind of the, uh, the condensed version of how I, how I got to, to be here is that it's uh, like 100% purpose, passion, authenticity, and integrity driven. Well, and I love that it started with yourself. Like you're a true testament of the work and how wonderful for people to have the opportunity to work with a coach that has has been in the muck and the mires and the gutter of it themselves and come through better on the other side. Like it's wonderful to say like, 
I'm a prime example. I've actually been in your place. I've been in your shoes. And I know this process works because I experienced it myself. Definitely. And I I find like, you know, I've built my business using Instagram as my primary platform. And I have found there like there's so much falsehood. There's so much um, rhetoric. There's so much misinformation that like, oh, if you just think about it and want it bad enough, it'll happen for you. And as somebody who is still single and who deeply desires partnership, I think I also offer a really unique perspective on like what makes a healthy relationship. And when you don't necessarily get what you want, what you want, like marriage or a great relationship, whatever it is, how do you make peace with that in the meantime while navigating those very complex emotions mm. on yearning and being at peace? And so where I used to have all this shame of like, oh my God, I'm divorced, I'm single, how could I ever be a relationship coach? I'm like, I have literally every skills I've required to make me such an effective relationship coach because I understand intimately what it feels like on every side of the coin. Yeah. What was it that made you specifically want to focus on helping women on their journey? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think that because I have male clients as well. My marketing is all focused on uh, on a more female demographic, but I definitely mm-hmm. work with men. I think it just kind of happened that way. Like it, it just kind of evolved that I had this very strong female presence. Um, I'm very conscious raising three girls. I'm very conscious of supporting female owned businesses and, um, in that vein, but I think it just kind of happened and evolved, uh, to be that place. Kind of organically. Yeah. But I I knew they always say that like women are the first to ask for help, you know, so um, first ask for directions and first ask for help. So I think I think women are very um, intuitive and very um, process oriented and and very internal in terms of like when things are going wrong. I think a lot of us are okay to like look inwards while also say like, well, if this isn't working, I need someone to help me through it. So it may also just be. Not accidental, because I do think it's kind of part of our biological system to um, ask for community and ask for support, Um, whereas in a generalization, but one I've witnessed on my own experience, men aren't as likely to do that. Um, But there's something to that also. You know what I mean? Like people who ask for help end up being stronger on the other side. Well, and it's so interesting because most of my clients are the women who are kind of at the top of their game and and no matter what that game is, right? Like a lot of them are public uh, facing or have a public profile. Um, are executives. So they're at like the top of their food chain or they're the, the core of their family. So no matter what the work is that they're doing, the role remains the same. They are the support system and everybody leans on them. Yeah. So I find like where there's so much value in this work that I do with people one-on-one is that they usually don't have anybody to talk to, not because they don't have friends or a supportive family, but because it like violates the unwritten contract they have that they are the ones who do the supporting. And so then they get this like Mm. bottleneck emotional effect, right? That they're being squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. And they're like, oh my God, like, oh my God, I have nobody to talk to. Or they go through this list of like, I'm at the top, I'm making multiple six figures. Like I have this family, I have the things that I need. And oh my God, life doesn't feel the way it's quote unquote supposed to. So no matter, no matter what this woman does, or no matter who this situation looks or feels like that remains the same, that it's like, 
I am such a strong support for so many people and I feel like I don't have enough support to help me. And that becomes really challenging to ask for help sometimes because it's so uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, that kind of feeds into something I wanted to talk about with you. We talk a lot about shaming on the podcast, specifically the shaming we receive from society or or even those um, from a recent episode from those in our personal circles who love us for being single and, you know, for lack of better terminology, straying from the quote unquote norm of being partnered. Um, I know a lot of your work centers around this ideology of of shame, but I'm I'm really interesting interested in your coaching around the relationship with ourselves. Like, are you finding there's more shame coming from outside influences or are women being mean to themselves? Yeah, I think that my own personal experience, I think I have a superstar family. Like my family supports me, period. And they're so supportive that like my own singleness, it's just this season. They're so Oh, I know there's no pressure. There's no nothing. They're very, they're very encouraging of like, just be here. You know, like we know there's this incredible person for you if you want that in your life. And in the meantime, just trust it. Like they're really, really wonderful and supportive. Um, I find in, you know, other circles of my life, I think it's the pressure that we put on ourselves. And Mm -hmm. when we, when we look at that through a lens of shame, it's that feeling of like, I should be doing something differently, or I am so strong and independent and driven and confident and beautiful and successful. What the fuck is wrong with me that I can't just find a partner and all of our usual kind of masculine energy driven, um, tools to get success. You know, like if I want to get paid more, I put more into my marketing and more into my presence and then like, bam, more money appears, right? It's like Mm -hmm. do achieve, do achieve, do achieve, repeat when we're dating or when, when we're in the like quote unquote pursuit of a relationship, there's no algorithm. It doesn't work like that. Despite what a lot of people want to tell you and sell you, like it doesn't work like that. So if we feel like we're out of control, that we don't have the tools to put into place to get what we want, we can't take the usual actions to get what we want. Then suddenly we're left with this inner environment and these feelings that are from within and any meaning that we give something only has meaning because we've assigned it to be that way, right? So if I judge my own singleness as unworthy or less than or incompetent or whatever it is, you know, those really uncomfortable words that we use, um, I also then have the, the tools and the skills that, and the power to be like, where does this feeling come from? What story am I really telling myself here? Where is this shame coming from? And how do I allow, allow myself to shift from patience back into presence and really learn to be at peace with where I am, who I am, what I've done and what I have, and still being able to reconcile, like it's okay for me to desire something that I don't have while also being very present and content with what I do. So I'm, I'm like, yes, I agree with that. But like, what kind of, do, do you, do you have any exercises or I'm wondering, you know, how, if we acknowledge that this system or experience exists, how can we then find ways to be kinder to ourselves 
as successful women, it's this dichotomy of like, well, I want to do something to fix the problem. <laughs> like, what is it that, is it just about like meditation and finding peace emotionally or, or is there something that we can actively do to balance those two forces in our lives? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's like the most frustrating answer because it is this simple and it is this complicated. Yeah. <laughs> you, you really, you decide to, you decide to, and some of that what comes from that, like, no, I decide to be at peace with this, or I decide to be kind to myself. Absolutely. Some of that is mindfulness and meditation. Some of it, some of it is action and action in terms of like, not what can I do more of to work myself towards a goal? Like, you know, even in school, you study hard, you're rewarded with a good grade. You get a good grade, you're rewarded with like a cash bonus from your parents or whatever. Like we have such a, a, <laughs> yeah. an external reward system. Yeah. 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 Choosing choosing to be at peace with who you are, where you are, as you are, we're talking about a radical shift into an internal reward system. Mm. And an internal reward system is based on things like, you know, let me do a quick scan of my environment. Am I, am I safe where I am? A lot of the times, like having these intense emotions, we have a physiological response triggered to our fear. We're afraid of being alone. We're afraid of being single. We have to almost like remove ourselves from that emotional experience and be like, wait a second, in this moment, all of my needs actually are being met. So if there's still some discomfort, what can I do that adds more joy, more pleasure into my life that then facilitates me being present? So again, while we live in this very over Instagrammed culture, this over memed culture of like what self-care is and isn't, it's like true self-care is exactly what we quote unquote do when we focus more on what makes me feel good right now. What can I do to support myself right now? How can I be an incredible emotional or physical support to me right here, right now? We're talking radical self-care. Mm. And when we shift into that, that state of I'm going to care for me, then we're, you get the satisfaction of doing because now maybe we're like, I don't know, personal experience, spending like 150 bucks on candles and incense to make my home environment just so delicious that like, you know, I put all my, all my lights on dimmer switches because now I have this like incredibly ambient space and it's like, oh my God, I just feel really good in this moment. And when I feel really good, when I allow myself to tap back into joy and pleasure, there isn't a lot of room to feel that anxiety or lack. So I've like, I'll, you, you can see how it's kind of, it's, it's both and right. Mm -hmm. Like I'm doing mindfulness. Oh yeah. I think that's also really relevant and resonant to the pandemic. You know, I think people, you know, we used to be so stimulated by our outside environment and then suddenly that was removed and people were, what? Well, how do I, maintain my presence, as you say, and my peace and my happiness in different ways. And there was a lot of check-in and it became really simple. As you said, sometimes it was just like, I'm going to go for a walk today. I want to be outside, or I'm going to make myself a cup of tea, or I'm going to take a nap in the middle of the day. Totally. And I, and I feel like we, you know, as per, I find this particularly for women. It's like, 
oh, what you should do to take care of yourself, they have to be these like, like it's just tea or it's just a bath. And it's like, sometimes you have so much tea and you have so many baths. It's like enough. It doesn't feel like care anymore. It's like, there's so, we have such a linear um, threshold of what self-care for your feminine self looks like. And that's, it's Ooh, wrong, yeah. right? It's so wrong. Like, so I don't know. I'm sitting here in my house looking at my hammock. I'm like, I want to go swing in my hammock or I want to like get some sparklers and light sparklers after dark because that feels great. Or you know, there's so there's a host of things we can do that make us feel good. And that's so individual. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. self-care TM that you can choose from this menu of five things we've prepared for. you. No, you can do whatever you want in the way that feels really good for you, even within the limits that we've been uh, experiencing. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, I, I agree with you. I think that's tricky, but I, um, um, you know, if any good comes out of this year, I think maybe I'm hoping that it's, it's just this, we're more attuned to our internal selves and how we can, yeah. And, and, and what we need to get through the day is beautiful. Um, I want to shift gears for a moment and talk about something that's, um, been on my mind recently, you know, One of my best friends, Scott, recently had a baby. She's one month old now. And over the weekend, I I went to go see her for the first time. And we went to brunch. It was this gorgeous spring day. You know, we got to eat outside, you know, pandemic safe. (laughs) Sorry if that makes you. No, I'm just like having this beautiful daydream of like (laughs) there are birds chirping and we're sitting on a patio. It's so nice. (laughs) But she was telling me about her experience giving birth that she, you know, she'd had some problems. Excuse me. And, uh, and she told me this really interesting thing. She said in the hospital, even though, you know, she's 38, she was, um, not considered, uh, what do they call it? Uh, a geriatric pregnancy, right? Because it's New York. She told me that, you know, that they said the average age for women giving birth in New York was like 40, 41, and that 45, 46 was considered geriatric. So they didn't panic when she had complications. So it's funny because anywhere else in the country, giving birth at 38 would be considered geriatric, but not in New York. So anyway, that got me thinking about pregnancy and motherhood. And I I wanted to get your thoughts on this, not only because it's May and Mother's Day this month, uh, but because you yourself have children and are single, as you mentioned. So if you're open to it, I'd love to hear about your experience as a single woman dating with children. What are some of the advantages and disadvantages that you've experienced? Um, where should we start? <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the good things that have uh, that you've experienced dating with? The the good thing is that I and again this comes from my like I I'm my own best client right and I'm authenticity and integrity are such core values of mine that they are the driving forces between my or behind my business rather so like I can say this with a great degree of certainty I I I live this like I walk my own talk mm-hmm. um, for me the best thing about dating with children is that like ain't nobody got time for bullshit period <laughs> yes. there, there's no there's no waffling and there, there's no waffling and I'm not like over committing to a relationship in my head and sabotaging it and I know there's somebody sitting there being like she's doing this I'm not doing that there's I'm not walking through a relationship 10 seconds in and like foreseeing the future and then ending it in the future so I don't have to commit to it that that's not happening mm-hmm. I am so clear on what my needs are as a person. And I am so clear on what our needs are as a family that it's, 
a ridiculously accurate filter as to who can come into our lives, mm. period right? Um, that's a blessing and a curse <laughs> because, mm -hmm. you know, the, um, and the pandemic definitely has made this more challenging, uh, as well that, you know, some of us want a long-term relationship and some of us while waiting for a long-term relationship are very cool to have a short-term relationship. And, mm -hmm. and that can be a little bit tricky, of course, in the pandemic, but of course, balancing a family as well, because there's not a lot of, um, room for spontaneity. So, yeah. you know, if I have my kids have time, that means that for one week, I'm 100% on. And even when they're not physically in my care, my brain is still, you know, simmering away of like, I do need to make sure I'm available in case anything goes wrong. Right. So it's sure, like, you yeah. don't fully turn it off. Uh, but yeah, there's no like, Hey, what are you doing tonight? You want to grab this? It's like, I can't, but how about next Wednesday? You got to plan it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so that, that's a challenge I find while there's still a lot of freedom and especially as I say with respect to knowing so specifically what you want and need it's just it's like an incredible filter or lens that you can put onto a relationship and even um like visualizing that relationship like it's so easy mm. to tap into exactly who this person is and what the dynamic feels like for our family and and for my own um intimate relationship that is such an advantage, I think, to having kids because you just you just know so accurately what you want. I love that you use the term freedom in that too, because I think there's a mindset for um, single women that the more selective they are, uh, the less likely they are to find someone. Or God forbid, there this word has come up in previous podcasts. They're picky, but I love that you think that that's a that's an advantage. That's a benefit. There's freedom to knowing exactly what you want. That's beautiful. I really do. And I feel like we, and I, you know, I've struggled with this myself. We lose sight of the scale, right? We get so focused on what we can see, touch, look at, whatever. We forget that there are like 7 billion people in the world. The scale of how many people are available is shocking. Like, I don't think you can fully wrap your head around it. And so, you know, we meet three people and it's like, and I've totally done this. It's like, well, Yes, that's it for me. Like there's I'm no forever. I'm single forever. And it's like, okay, you've dated three people. So maybe we could just <laughs> dial that back and extrapolate that there are so many more people. So I don't know. I'm totally jumping ahead, but I'm this just kind of came up if I can share it. Yeah. <laughs> share whatever. Yeah. One of the antidotes I find to that of like, you know, I dated, I, I met this person and I thought it was gonna be like on paper, he looked like he was gonna be exactly what I needed. Or even, you know, we went on a couple of dates and he felt like exactly what, what I needed and what I wanted and it didn't work out. And that, that is painful. Like there's no way to slice it. It's, yeah. it's painful. It's, it breaks your heart when, you know, things don't add up to what you think you really want in that moment. And mm -hmm. one of the little tools that I use is to treat every single person you meet as an expander. So if I, you know, for example, connect with somebody who I'm, I'm really intent on being with somebody who doesn't have their own kids. Cause I, that works Half for enough. me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a great way of saying it. Um, when I meet somebody who is, you know, who has 
gives off the vibe that I want to be with and who has all those qualities and values that are really important to me and doesn't have kids and then it doesn't work out and those feelings of frustration or loneliness or like doubt start, start to creep in. I consciously make myself look at the situation and be like, what did you learn from this? How did this man um, expand your horizon and your vision of what is possible? Because if this guy exists, what a beautiful marker and totem that somebody else and very likely thousands of other people exist just like him. And so I find that that's like an, one of those actionable tools that invites you to be present in the moment um, simply by looking at like, what a gift to get this on my radar that I now have conscious proof, yeah. like conscious proof that what I want is totally real. The timing or the vibe or the whatever wasn't necessarily meant to be with this person, but what an incredible takeaway that I got this little breadcrumb that like, oh yeah, he's super real. He absolutely exists. Here's a, a, an indicator or like a, a, an amuse-bouche of what's to come for you. I like that so much and because it completely eradicates this ridiculous notion of the one. I know. That like TV seems to be obsessed with, like finding the one for you. And we could dispel that so quickly. It's just like, it's so false. <laughs> yeah, obviously. I mean, people have multiple relationships in their lifetime. That alone tells you. But um, the idea that uh, it, it sort of reminded me of something. I, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I'm also an actor as well. And a lot of these similar feelings of frustration and lack of being able to take action and rejection. They're, yeah, they're bed sisters with acting, which is a fun aspect for my life to just be it from both angles. <laughs> yeah, basically. So, but one of the things, um, you know, that I've been working through also in my emotional work as an actor uh, to try to stay positive through this journey has been a very similar concept, which is like, Instead of, if you're, if you see your friend, like I was watching Blacklist last night and I literally saw a girl I knew and I was like, oh my God. And a first feeling was, you know, jealousy and like, how did she get it? And I'm not getting it. That's our first thing. But instead to recognize it, if like, no, if she can get it, you can get it. Like you're, you're no, like that's just showing you what's possible. So I think that's very in line with what you were talking about. Sometimes a hundred percent it is. And sometimes I like, I'm very visual um, and part of my own self-care or my own self-soothing that I totally teach to clients as well is to really make things as visual as absolutely possible. So for me, sometimes I think of it as like, you know, this divine cooking staff, like they're in this kitchen far beyond where I can see or access, but then they like whip up this little dish and they, they hand this person down to me or they hand this opportunity down to me. And they're like, we just wanted to let you know, like, this is what you were thinking of. And I'm like, I take a little taste and I'm like, oh, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. And they're like, okay, cool. And they go back to their like oh kitchen God, in the sky and they're like, all right, she likes this. She didn't, you know, maybe he could have been a little bit funnier or, you know, add some lemon. Yeah, yes. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> Maybe add up the wealth on this one too, but like whatever it is, I feel like it's this constant co-creation of like, is this what you were thinking? And I say, yeah, that's totally what I was thinking. Thank you. And they go back to their own lab and they work on the next model. That's so cute. <laughs> I want that. I want and, that. and I think I that's it. totally true for acting too, right? I was like, I'm obsessed with the American office. Like 
in every in every part of it the show yeah. the podcast the books all of it and if when you listen to the actors tell their story they could easily have been talking about relationships you know they were just about to give up almost mm. all of them across the board they were just about to give up and then they had this one glimmer of an opportunity and everything fell into place and it's like it's crazy it's 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 fascinating that's life like that's life it's really hard and it's really beautiful all at the same time yeah well said going back to your experience um i'm curious if you found any social or societal stigmas for being single with children or here's the more interesting question are people less shaming about your single status because you've already had children that's a great question and I don't really even know how to answer it. I feel like I have defied all, like, almost all expectations. And I, I maybe there is single shaming or maybe there's judgment, but maybe my own arrogance supersedes that because I feel like, you know, there's a trope, right? There's a trope to being a single mom of three. And I know what that trope is. And I was like, nope, swipe that away. Like I'm not becoming that. And even if that's mm. what people expect me to be, I'm going to put my blinders on so tight that I can't even see or hear what they might be thinking, saying, projecting onto me. And I think some of that is my own internal drive to be me and do what feels really good for me and create my own expectations of what my own life looks and feels like. Um, worth mentioning, I am also a Taurus and I feel like I have like all, I am, I am that stubborn. So, you know, in my own career, for example, like being a single parent of, of three little girls who for most of their lives, like until very recently had 80 to a hundred percent custody with like no support, failure is not a fucking option for me. Right? <laughs> right. And I'm so driven by that, that I think that I then consciously put up blinders to tune out what other people might be thinking or saying. Mm. Does that make sense? That's lovely that you, that you have that quality. <laughs> That's, it's crazy. I mean, I literally got into this conversation. It was the same brunch where we were just talking so much about motherhood and, you know, um, I said, I, I just asked her cause I'm curious cause it's on my mind. Like I said, with the podcast and stuff. And I said, when you were married and, and you didn't have kids, how annoying were people about like, are you going to have a baby? And she was like, oh my God, it was, it was nonstop. And I said, so are people less meddlesome or do like, do people feel soothed now that you did the thing that you've been expected to do as a woman in society? Have they, have they stopped asking you questions, you know? And, you know, she's been a mother all of one month, so she couldn't So she really obviously answer. has all the answers. <laughs> I know. It was a little more rhetorical. But I'm, I'm really fascinated by this concept of, like, and actually the answer was interesting. My friend Scott said he heard a lot less fussing. He said once he told people that he was having baby, and I was like, oh, wow. So it, it happens on both sides. You know, once you fulfill that that even subconscious expectation that society has that like anxious, like, but who are you if you're not this person? Once you do it, people sort of go, okay, I got it. You're Because now they can you know? make sense of you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's like an intentional, like, I like you. I don't like you if you don't do this, but I think it, 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 there's an anxiety with not being able to figure women out. Or as I told my friend Scott, like, 
for me, you know, people uh, are weird to me because they're like, but you're pretty and you're uh, intelligent and you seem well-spoken and you're conversational and you seem successful. So why are you single? You know, it's like, I don't get it. What are you doing wrong? Because uh, it doesn't make sense to me that you should be single. Uh, I'm sorry that you've had that experience. It's like that's like the worst feeling. You're like, thank you. I've been wondering the same thing myself. But thank you. I know, I know. <laughs> and you know, but where I come from professionally, immediately, like I go into like I want to even protect you mode, right? That it's like, wait, 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 wait. This isn't even the conversation that we should be having. Like the conversation we should be having about this topic is what the fuck does your life and the impact of your life have on somebody else's life? True story. Yeah. And now to me as a relational coach, I'm like, let's talk about boundaries. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> From both directions. Cause some people don't, people treat us how we allow them to treat us. Right. That's and, true. And it's yeah. uncomfortable because that means if I want somebody to treat me differently, I got to set a different boundary and that boundary comes from me. So if I'm getting into that conversation where I feel judged and shamed and like people are heaping their own stuff onto me, it, the, the responsibility and the onus of my own self-protection is on me to start looking at what my boundaries are and where they need some strengthening and how to set very clear, loving, healthy boundaries that allow me to be in this relationship with family member, friend, colleague, whomever it is, while still being very mindful of protecting my own mental and emotional health. And I mean, I, like that's from my business, right? Like that's where I get really interested and turned on is like, if you find that you were constantly in these conversations, it's not about society. It's not about what others expect from you. It's what do you expect of you and how are you responding in those moments and what can we tweak? What can we go deeper with and heal? What stories can we look at that are coming out and like repeating themselves in these conscious patterns over and over again? What is the work that needs to be done that we can heal it to allow those conversations to, to literally disintegrate and melt away? Yeah, just to sort of roll off you and not be... And, and I, as again, somebody who is single, who has three kids, who's I, I turn 40, like around Mother's Day weekend, um, I don't experience that period. And yes, I have a very supportive extended family. I've also been incredibly selective about who is allowed in my world. Right. Mm. And, and that does start with me. That's like part of that is a natural drive. Yes. And a lot of it is very conscious relationship choices that I have made, um, to protect and serve myself. I mean, I need that work. Let's, let's be like, I think we all need that I, work, a but lot of, a lot of us, um, do. yeah, I, yeah, I'm sure there's, there's things that I can do to, uh, reinforce myself in that situation or build myself up. I will say like, makes me think of this one situation. Um, I was in my pre-pandemic life, I was a tour guide and so you're meeting tons of people all the time and you spend hours with them and they, and you talk about your lives and they're very curious about your life in New York specifically. And, you know, relationships are always on the platter. Um, you know, for, again, like people are curious or people are trying to solve the, the quote unquote problem or, or the equation or just figure you out in general. And I do remember this one specific moment where, again, older gentleman and he said all the things, but you seem very attractive and well-spoken and interesting, da-da-da-da-da, uh, you know, uh, he said, 
I don't remember the way he phrased it. I can't imagine he said, like, what's wrong with you? But what I do remember is the way I responded. I actually said to him, how interesting that you didn't ask me why I'm not finding the person I'm looking for. Whereas, and then, you know, he, he sort of laughed in the moment, and he, but he came back to me an hour later. You know, I was with him the whole day, but he just pulled me aside, and he's like, I just wanted to apologize um, because you're correct. And he's like, absolutely. I'm glad you pointed that out to me. Um, and that was just like a moment where I took away and I was like, it's not a problem at all. I was like, it's just curious to me that your first assumption is that I haven't been picked. Whereas the reality is that I haven't found the one that I want to pick. Yes, totally. And like slow clap for you in that moment being like, here's a little reframe, right? Immediately what I want to say too, is that people are so, we're all of us like self-included, we're so self-absorbed. We are so focused on our own life. That's how we are built. We are biologically wired, yes, to be part of a group and to make sure that we come out on top, period. Like that's how we survive, right? And how that manifests socially, particularly now that we haven't really had the like normal social life that we've been used to for months on end. We have in large part, we have no idea how to relate to other people. And so we kind of say what's on our mind, on our heart, through our perspective, through our lens, without even being able to fully see how that's going to land for somebody else. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, to share an anecdote, I live in this small town. I, I talk about being single so often that I thought it was really, really obvious to everybody who knows me that I'm so open to being set up. Like I, I'm so, I really desire that. I really deeply desire to meet somebody organically through somebody I know. I thought that was so obvious. And recently in this tiny little town that I live in, it's like two men have come across my radar. One is like a software engineer. He's like awesome guy, really, really funny, driven. The other is an actual former professional athlete who moved back here to be closer to family. Like it checks all the boxes. Hell yeah. yeah. And then you start doing this Instagram or Facebook, Facebook deep dive and I'm like, Oh my God, we have not one friend in common. We have several friends in common, like several. <gasps> Shame on them. And none of them <laughs> even Keeping thought, him a secret. <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? And I said to a friend of mine, because I was, I was actually, I was pretty upset. And I said to a friend of mine, like in this moment of anger, I was like, do you not give a shit about my happiness? <laughs> <laughs> And he was like, uh, no, yeah. no, yeah. like, no Lise, we all have our own stuff. And I was like, oh my Why God. Why are you not thinking of me all the time? <laughs> How did I not see that? And so, you know, there's that boundary. There's that intentionality of like, okay. So maybe knowing that everybody is just focused on themselves. How do we adjust our boundaries accordingly to really, again, advocate for ourselves, but be very clear and specific as to what we expect from those around us? Because when we can really communicate lovingly, affectionately, and very succinctly what we expect of the behavior from other people around us, now we're getting into very conscious communication and very, very conscious relationships, right? By Ooh, by yes. laying it out on the table of what we actually want. And yes, I'm I do want to be introduced to that hockey player, just so everybody <laughs> knows who's listening. Like, why would I not want to be introduced to him? Hi. You Hi. assholes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, going back to what we were kind of talking about at the top of the episode in terms of like the blame that women place on themselves for not like achieving something they wanted, it it won't be a surprise to you to to learn or to know that there's an emerging demographic of, you know, we've been talking about being uh, single with children, but single childless women. Um, there's a book called Otherhood by Melanie Notkin, and she sort of attributes it to being granddaughters of the feminist movement. You know, we're expected to have college education and job access that our mothers didn't. However, many of these women remain single and childless longer than expected. So the women who are single and childless but wanting children interestingly enough, are more likely to be college-educated women. I mean, that makes sense because you're kind of spending time on your career. So, I mean, the thing that I find most interesting among this demographic, myself included, is, uh, again, the blame that women place on themselves for not achieving this thing that they want. They internalize this difference as being sort of our fault. Yeah. So if, you know, if you were working with a client like this, and you can pretend it's me if you want, but, you know, how would you... How would you address this specifically? How would you help a single childless woman who wants children in the future to work through this? I mean, for, we'd start with a breakthrough day, which is like an eight-hour coaching session back okay. to back to back to back. So I'm like, keep that <laughs> context. I, I wish I had a magic wand to be like, oh, we would do this. What's the eight-second version of that? <laughs> um, that we are having an incredibly postmodern conversation in this moment, right? Because at no other time in human history Forget about our generation's experience in fucking human history. Yeah. This has never happened before for our species. It's crazy. We are driven to procreate and have children by a specific age, which is like all very biologically aligned for us, right? Well, when we opened up the gates of like, and now I'm going to pursue education and I'm going to pursue a career, which means I have shifted my human experience and the purpose thereof to be not singularly focused on propagating our species, we just blew up our own societal expectations as we know them. And that sounds very dramatic because it is. Because now all of a sudden we've created this myth that we should be able to do this, do that, and have this, and have that, and just balance it effortlessly. It, it's not effortless. Having a career is hard. Having a family is hard. Having both of those things at the same time, whew, like it's yeah. really hard. And so some of that pressure, I think the eight second version, which is now like three minutes in, is that um, we start with really getting a very clear perspective on the context of what's actually happening. Because that mental chatter starts to amp up and that dialogue starts to amp up. And when we back it up, by Hollywood and, you know, things we see around us in pop culture, mm -hmm. that's so distorted. It's so distorted. It's not reality that we have to start by getting a really clear perspective and context on what is the reality. And if you've invested X number of years and dollars in your education and then your career and then, and then this, and then that, it's like, uh, of course you haven't, you know, had enough time or energy or even subconscious mental space to receive that partnership, to be in a place that can position you to have kids while also still navigating what you want out of your life professionally. It's, it's very, very, very difficult. And yet 
the default through, I don't know, thousands of years of systemic oppression is like to just take on that responsibility ourselves be like, oh, yeah, this is, it's obviously it's this like, is my fault. No, it's not. I can fix it. Yeah, it's my fault and I can fix it. <laughs> Does that make sense? Or is that comforting in any way? It's like, it is. it's an it is. unfair I expectation. I think, I think you're right. I think it's just like taking a moment to be like, like absorb the enormity of it when you reframe it that way and be like, yo, this is, first of all, it's not my fault. I hate that word, but I do think a lot of people feel like that is somehow subconsciously or subliminally their fault for not getting, um, this thing, you know, I've been given all of the freedoms that generations before me have not been given. So if I want something, theoretically, I should be able to get it. And if I haven't gotten it yet, I must be doing something wrong. So taking a step back to just acknowledge that like that line of thinking is totally bananas <laughs> um, and like give yourself some grace to um, to process that. My, I'm, I'm Canadian. I love going to the US. Like I can't wait to travel to the US again. Like I can't underline this enough. Um, but I have a friend who has dual citizenship. And so we laugh, you know, in the before time when she was kind of going back and forth between Toronto and Florida, like we laugh at when you go to the grocery store here, you, you, there's probably like 10 different kinds of yogurt on the shelf. Right. But when we go to like America, there are like <laughs> 35,000 kinds of yogurt to choose from. And it's like, how, like I could have any of this yogurt. How the hell am I going to choose the right yogurt? What if I miss out on the better? Is this the better yogurt? Oh and my God. life choices have become like the yogurt aisle in the USA in the post-feminist movement, especially in fourth wave feminism, because suddenly it's like, you can literally have anything you want. Don't fuck it up. It's like, oh, jeez. Oh, my God. Okay. How do I know? How do I know? There's so much choice that that comes with a phenomenal amount of pressure to do the right thing, even though we're still experiencing time and experience in this like very linear, very linear way. That's, that's gorgeous. I mean, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful problem, right? I think that yogurt analogy just sort of, but it's, you know, I'm right (laughs) because dating is the yogurt aisle, right? It's literally like online dating is the yogurt aisle. I have in New York city, potentially what, like 4 million people. (laughs) That's, I mean, that's an exaggeration, but I have millions of people to choose from. And that's not hyperbole. That's fact. I know. And it's so intense. I know. And what if I pick the wrong yogurt? Exactly. And then I think, you know, from a dating perspective, I I really, I have so much faith in spirituality that you, I think you have to bring it back to that. It's like, oh, honey, what if it's not entirely up to you? Like, what if you could allow yourself to do what feels really good, be present in your life, making conscious decisions based on your own purpose and what makes you feel aligned, what lines up with your values? and trust that there is something so much bigger than you that really does want what's best for you. And what if, if you know, that this greater force, you can call it God universe, whatever you want to call it, just whatever, if they're like acting in your best interest to really set you up for success and do what is best for you, isn't it kind of possible and very likely that they're doing that for somebody else and that eventually mm. those two people are going to cross their paths and it won't actually feel that arduous? It won't actually feel like you have to be in control or in charge, that maybe it actually could just happen and that the learning curve comes from trusting that. Mm. What a gorgeous way to end this episode. I just, I'm meditating on that that vibe and that energy and just trying to 
Put my trust in the universe. I love that. And again, you know, that's its own thing. Like trust is a very, very big deal. When you, when you're like, if you imagine you're going down this stream or this like rapid stream, you're clinging onto a rock for dear life because you do not want to let go and be taken down this stream. When you allow yourself to let go, it requires, it's an active process. Like is this surrender, Mm. this trust, it is an action. You're allowing yourself to let go and trust that you're just going to be okay. And that's, you know, that's where we get, again, this blend of action and inaction working together in, in harmony. Yes. Oh, nothing better than that. I feel like I just got the biggest hug from you. Oh, good. That's my intention. <laughs> a big, big, beautiful, virtual pandemic podcast <laughs> hug. Good. <laughs> You're like, it's going to be okay. It really is. It really is. Oh, my God. Lise, it's, so, it's been phenomenal talking to you. Thank you so much for reaching out and connecting with me. This has been a real privilege for me. Oh, my pleasure. I feel the same way. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. If if people want to work with you, how can they find you? Uh, on my shiny brand new website, leesewilcox.com. So L-E-I-S-S-E-W-I-L-C-O-X.com. Uh, I'm also very active on Instagram every day at Lise Wilcox. Those are the, those are the best ways. Perfection. Yeah. Well, we hope you guys um, got something out of this episode and we hope you choose to connect with Lise and a stronger way. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider passing it on to a friend. Give us a like and a subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you can help our content rise to the top. And be sure to follow us over at, at hashtag singlepod on Instagram so we can stay in touch. That's it for this episode, you guys. We will catch you next time. Bye.